The reading is taken from the second book of Chronicles, chapter 20, verses 2 to 12. And if you use the same edition of the Bible as we do in church, it's page 452. The reading is the beginning of an account that happened in the kingdom of Judah in the reign of King Jehoshaphat. And this was about 850 years before Jesus was born. So 2 Chronicles 20, beginning at verse 2. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already in Hassan Tamar, that is Al-Gade. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, at the temple of the Lord, in the front of the new courtyard, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O Lord God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it, and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment, or plague, or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Hello, everyone. My name's Ian. I'm one of the members at NCBC. I don't know how many of you are familiar and like the uh, Peanuts cartoon series, you know, with uh, characters like Charlie Brown and Lucy, uh, Woodstock and of course Snoopy. I'm a great fan of them. Well, there's an, an old Peanuts cartoon in which Linus is speaking to Charlie Brown. And Linus says to Charlie Brown, I don't like to face problems head on. I think the best way to solve problems is to avoid them. This is a distinct philosophy of mine. No problem is so big or so complicated that it can't be run away from. 
Now, unfortunately, Linus's philosophy isn't one on which we can build our lives. It just isn't possible to run away from all our problems. So I wonder what our response is when we do inevitably encounter the problems that life brings. And what about problems, situations that aren't just problems, but are in fact crises, really big or urgent problems? How do we respond to them? Over the past few months, our country, our world has faced, is still facing a crisis with the coronavirus pandemic, something that has left none of us untouched. I wonder what our response has been. Anxiety? Even fear? Are there ways to respond to problems, even crises like this, that our Christian faith can help us find? I have chosen this morning to look at one incident in the life of an Old Testament king, Jehoshaphat, because although it is just one incident, and I know that there is a danger of taking just one thing that happened in the history of God's people and drawing general lessons from it, I feel that the account we are looking at illustrates general principles that we find more widely in the Bible that help us not just in our response to crises, but in how we live our lives more generally. And particularly, it will help us, I think, in dealing with this um, subject that we're looking at this morning as part of the Forward in Our Faith series, Prayer and Fasting. So then, let's think about the crisis that King Jehoshaphat of Judah faced. Here, about 850 years BC, was the king of the tiny state of Judah, what we now call Israel-Palestine. And one day messengers come to the king and tell him that a vast army from nearby countries is on its way to invade Judah. Here for Jehoshaphat and the country of Judah is a crisis. It's one they can't run away from. And what is Jehoshaphat's reaction? He is scared. The NIV translation, which is the one we normally use in our church, puts it rather weakly in saying that he was alarmed. Another translation says that he was terrified. He was afraid. And that's probably a natural reaction to a crisis. It's been a reaction of many of us in the COVID-19 crisis. But Jehoshaphat's fear drives him in a particular direction. He resolves to seek help from God. One translation puts it like this. Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord. He set himself to seek God. He resolved to seek for God's guidance and help. And it's not just Jehoshaphat that seeks help. It, the whole uh, people of Judah come together to seek help from their God, the Lord. And they seek God's help 
in two ways, in fasting and in prayer. And I want to look at each of these in turn, but in a different order from what they come in the biblical account. So we're going to look first of all at prayer. In particular, the prayer that Jehoshaphat prays, which I believe gives a good pattern for some of our own prayers. Jehoshaphat starts by acknowledging the God to whom he is praying, the one who is sovereign over all the earth. Lord, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. When we pray, I think it can be good for us to acknowledge who God is. Now, maybe we will do that in terms of his sovereignty, like Jehoshaphat did. But maybe we will do it in terms of his grace and mercy, which we need so much. Or perhaps particularly in terms of him being our father. For if we have put our trust in Jesus, then we have been adopted into the family of God. We have God as a good father, the best father that there is, with whom we can share all our concerns and our needs. The prayer that Jesus gave his disciples, what we call the Lord's Prayer, encourages us to speak to God as our Father, our Father in heaven. So the first thing we see from this prayer of Jehoshaphat is about acknowledging the God to whom we are praying. Secondly, Jehoshaphat speaks of the promises that God had given to his people, promises of a land to live in, promises of rescue when they cry out to him for help. When we pray, I think it's good for us to speak to God about what we understand his promises are for us. Promises of forgiveness, provision, enabling, his Holy Spirit, peace, a love from which nothing can separate us. So acknowledging the God to whom we are praying, speaking to God, about his promises to us as his people. And thirdly, laying the situation before God. Jehoshaphat tells God of the invading armies, of how they are acting unjustly against the people of Judah now. It's not that God doesn't know, but Jehoshaphat wants God to take a good look and see the situation and act. And his prayer ends like this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Another king of Judah, King Hezekiah, at a later time, faced a crisis with another invading army, the Assyrians, threatening, threatening the survival of the kingdom. He got a letter from the Assyrians urging him to surrender or face destruction. 
Hezekiah took the letter into the temple because that is where he believed God was in a special way, spread the letter out before God, asking God to look and see the danger that his country was in. When we pray, I believe it's a good thing for us to, as it were, lay out the situation that troubles us before God. We may not have a letter that spells trouble for us, although sometimes we may. It may be something we have read in a paper or um, something on our phone that's come through on our phone. But we can, as it were, lay it before God and say to him, Lord, please look at what's happening. Look at the trouble we are in. And we may want to pray those words that Jehoshaphat used or similar words to them. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are towards you. I remember reading of a teacher who was speaking to her children about prayer, quite young children, and she told them to be quiet and think of the world and their lives before speaking to God. And the children complied. They were quiet, sat there quietly for a bit, until suddenly one little boy pipes up, help! And perhaps that's a very simple prayer that we can use too. Lord, help! Acknowledging the God to whom we are praying, speaking to God about his promises and laying the situation before God. All good things to incorporate in some, at least, of our prayers. The situation that Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah faced was a crisis. And Jehoshaphat's prayer was about that crisis. But of course, at least I hope you see it as an of course, we don't have to wait for a crisis to pray. We can bring we are encouraged to bring all parts of our lives, all sorts of people, all sorts of needs at any and all times to our God, our Father. We pray because in the words of Paul E. Miller, you've probably never heard of, but he's written an excellent book uh, about prayer called The Praying Life. We pray because we can't do life on our own. We don't need to be eloquent to pray. We don't need to find the exact right words or even many words. We just need to express what is on our hearts. In the words of Matthew chapter 6 verse 6 from the Message Translation, and this is Jesus speaking or translation of what Jesus said, says this, find a quiet secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord by praying, but also secondly by fasting. As I said before, this sermon is part of a series at NCBC 
which we're doing under the title of Forward in Our Faith, a series that looks at various things, disciplines, that should probably be part of our lives as Christians. When I was allocated this subject of prayer and fasting, that put me in a quandary, because although I do pray, I have had very little experience of fasting. And initially, at least, I was very negative about it, and I wondered if I ought to have swapped the subject with someone else. But having read through the Bible references to fasting, I felt that here was a challenge for me. That I ought to consider as to whether fasting is something that ought to be part of my life. So if your reaction is like mine, please don't dismiss this part of the sermon without hearing it out, as I try to be faithful to what the Bible says about fasting, or at least some of it, because I've, uh, time is limited. In a time of crisis for his country, Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast. And in the Old Testament, there are several occasions when there are similar responses to crisis situations. Queen Esther, when she was to plead with the king for her people, and the people, um, that's one occasion uh, when she uh, fasted, and the people of Nineveh, when they were threatened with God's judgment through the prophet Jonah, they also fasted, crises, situations. King David went without food and water when a child was gravely ill. The people of Judah were called to fast as part of their turning back to God when their country was threatened by a different army, an army of locusts. So why fasting? Why go without food? In what way is that seeking God's help? Well, this is how I see it. And you need to weigh this, but I, I think I, this is uh, right. When people fast in a crisis situation, it's like saying to God, Dear God, here is a really serious situation in, we rec in which we recognise that our more immediate, basic needs need to take a back seat. Here is something much more important even than eating, something for which we need your help. Our own country's current situation, our world situation, is surely one of crisis. It is a situation where many people are afraid, fearful for their lives or the lives of those they love, or fearful for their livelihoods. Surely as Christians we should be setting ourselves to seek the Lord, calling out to our God for help, for our nation, for our leaders and for the world. Surely that's part of the priesthood of believers, calling out to God on behalf of those who wouldn't think to do it for themselves. So we should certainly pray 
And maybe as part of that seeking God's help at this time, fast as well. But is fasting just for times of crisis? And is it something that all Christians should do? So let's consider whether uh, fasting is just for times of crisis. As well as being linked to times of crisis, in the Bible, fasting is linked also, amongst other things, to repentance, as in the call of the prophet Joel to his people and with King Ahab after God's message of judgment to him. Um, fasting is also linked to guidance, as some translations put the emphasis on in the passage that we've been looking at. It's also linked to the beginning of a new ministry, as with the Lord Jesus himself and Saul and Barnabas. I think always, surely, it should be linked to prayer. For although prayer at its simplest is coming to our Heavenly Father with our needs and the needs of others, prayer is sometimes engaging in a battle, in spiritual warfare. Michael Green, in his book on the Gospel of Matthew, writes this. Fasting strengthens self-discipline. It lessens the hold of material things on us. It shows God that we mean business. It lessens the power of habit and it enables us to seek God without distraction. And is fasting something that all Christians should be doing? Well, there are some people who definitely should not fast. For instance, people with certain medical conditions, maybe diabetics, for instance, or if you're going without food because you're concerned about your body image, you definitely should not be fasting. But if we come out of those categories, there are things other for, um, than food from which we can fast. I'm really pleased that I have the BBC Sounds app on my phone. And during this period of lockdown, I've listened to a number of classic books being read. I've listened to comedy programmes that I like, to the Pop Popmaster podcast, In Our Time with Melvin Bragg, more or less, Sounds of the Sixties, as well as listening to news and current affairs programmes. But I realise that because I have these programmes on so much, that often my mind is filled with thoughts about what I've heard and not very much thoughts about what I've read in the Bible or with the needs of other people who may need God's help, particularly at this time. So I am beginning, and I've only just made a start on this, to sometimes have a day off when I don't listen at all. If you like, a fast from BBC Sounds, from the radio. And maybe if you should not fast from food, or even if you can and should, 
you might want to do something similar to fasting from other things. What about a fast from your phone or just opening it to look at messages briefly once a day or a fast from social media and give some time free of uh, some of that time freed up to prayer. And we need to be very careful about our motives for fasting. One of our verses for this year says, we worship in spirit and in truth. And surely that has to do with our motives. And it might mean examining our reasons for fasting. It can easy be easy for pride and self-righteousness to creep in. It can be easy to think, maybe subconsciously, that fasting will guarantee that our prayers will be answered. And it's no good fasting if the rest of our lives are out of kilter with God. If you read more about King Jehoshaphat, you will read about how concerned he was for justice. The opposite of the people described in Isaiah chapter 58, who couldn't understand why God didn't notice when they fasted. That chapter in Isaiah shows that God's priorities are concerned for the oppressed, the poor, the hungry, making sure we look after our own families. Now, of course, it's it, because it's possible to get something wrong doesn't mean that we should dismiss it, which is perhaps the mistake I made when I first thought about fasting. It could well be right for us to consider fasting. I hope we do. But if we don't already do it, and if, if we do, I think it's good to check out Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 to 18 and that section in Isaiah chapter 58 verses 1 to 12. Now I've hardly scratched the surface as far as prayer and fasting is concerned, but time is limited. And I realise too that I've only looked at part of the story, part of the account of Jehoshaphat and what happened um, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Do go on and read the rest of that chapter. It's fantastic to see how God spoke into that situation and how he delivered the people of Judah in a wonderful way, how he answered uh, Jehoshaphat's prayer. As I wind up, I want to remind us then what I feel we can learn from this short account. Firstly, about setting ourselves to seek the Lord. Are we facing a problem, even a crisis, aware of other people facing difficulties, needing guidance? Seek God. Seek his help for ourselves and for others too. Seek him by pouring out our hearts to him in prayer and maybe with fasting too. Lay out our situation before God. Ask God to look what's happening and because of the God he is 
and his great mercy and love to bring that mercy and love to bear on the situation and the people involved. And thirdly, recognising our need for God. We're not all powerful, sometimes, often, always. Yeah, I think always. We need help from God. Often, we need to echo those words to God. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Amen. Just a short prayer. Father, I ask please that you will speak to us um, as you want. Father, help people to remember stuff if it's from you, Whatever it hasn't been from you, just let them forget. But please help us to pray. Amen.